Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and I get uncomfortable when movie protagonists refer to my people as yellow-skinned. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. Coming to you live from Virtual Sundance. It's uh, not very cold here. Yeah, And also Jeff Kanata. I am also a creature that comes by once every generation. <laughs> Welcome to the Slash Filmcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today on the podcast, of course, our main review is going to be The White Tiger, new film that's out right now on Netflix. But before that, we got some what we've been watching, some interesting reflections on the new uh, nature of the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, and then some weekly plugs for you as well. In the after dark, uh, we have nothing really planned. We got some uh, got some COVID related talks. We got some uh, uh, movie festival related talks. <laughs> really really selling it, Dave. I'm really, really selling it. Yeah, I, you, you're <laughs> nothing welcome. Nothing planned. Jeff. Maybe we'll talk about COVID. Yeah. Tune in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's how I play. That's how I go. Um, Jeff. That's how I roll. Unmissable so, content. Uh, you're the old slash film guys. Uh, anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You know, Jeff, I've started to realize over the course of the last two years, uh, very slowly, <laughs> that our approaches to introducing podcasts are uh, really different. You know, I listen mm, to DLC mm, quite mm. regularly. D- Jeff Kanata likes to amp people up. He's like, welcome to DLC, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm more of a I'm more of a understanding kind of guy. Make them leave. An, want to make them yeah. leave? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, 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 no. Because, so, because you're more strong. strong. Keep listening. You're kind of an, yeah. an underpromise, overdeliver guy. We, right? we, you, you know, it's easy to to get them from the start, Jeff. Harder to yeah. drive them away and bring them back. You know uh, what I'm saying? Oh, I get it. Yeah, oh, yeah. This is true. No, it's, a, it's, as a, well. it's a brilliant stratagem. Oh, thanks. make them think there's nothing to listen for. Yeah, and then uh, little by little. Uh, slowly confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> precisely, precisely, mm-hmm. Jefferson. Uh, well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we're all aligned, and uh, we can get going with the show now. So let's talk about what we've been watching this week. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things. One of them is that uh, I watched The Little Things, which is the new movie that's out right now on HBO Max. It's the first movie of 2021 that's part of uh, Warner Brothers and HBO's. Um, kind of dual release strategy, uh, day and date strategy, right? Where it's out in theaters and it's on HBO Max for a month. Um, I, I unsuccessfully tried to make this a main review of the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> and I think that's for the best because this movie yeah. is pretty terrible. I looked um, at that trailer, Dave, and I was like, did somebody <laughs> just unearth a movie from the 90s and try to sell it today? And apparently that's what happened, right? Uh, very true. First of all, you got three Academy Award winning actors in this movie. Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and Rami Malek, right? And you're thinking to yourself, okay, wow, it's gotta, great, it's, it's 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 incredible, it's incredible. Like how how could you you could not ask for more when it comes Can't to mess Detective that up. Denzel, <laughs> Detective Denzel, whenever Detective he's in a movie, Denzel. it's great. Detective it's great. Denzel, yeah, it's so good. Um, you got John Lee Hancock, the guy who's directed uh, some pretty great films, including uh, The Founder, um, The Blind Side. I like the founder. Well, you know? I think really yeah. just the founder. You're really hyping that up. The founder yeah. is pretty great. I, I really like the founder. It's a great film. Um, but uh, yeah, so so you got all this stuff going on for this movie. And at the end of the day, as Devendra indicates, it feels like a movie that came straight out of the 1990s, probably because it was apparently written in the 1990s. Yes. And apparently the script was not changed at all before they made the film and released it in 2020. Is it set in the 90s? Still? Yes, it is set in 1990. So it's ridiculous. 
I think they said, you know, I saw some speculation on Twitter that they said it in 1990 just to avoid needing to update the script for like iPhones <laughs> and stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is, yeah. I think that is, that is called efficiency, fellas. Yeah. I know. Truly, you know yeah. I mean? it's true laziness. It becomes yeah. a period you have a, piece. But, but the thing is, you have that, a perfectly that, good script. Why waste all the time updating it when it's just introducing problems into your script? It's just a little data. It's still good. It's still good. All you, all you need, <laughs> all you need is a little Chiron at the beginning saying 1990. Boom, and boom, some, uh, some Nirvana on the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. We oh. can sell this. The problem, the, okay, first of all, I actually think it ends up being more work than you think because you have to have all the vehicles be from 1990, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm, so it becomes mm, like a mm. period piece. So like, I, I think in the end, it ends up uh, ends up biting them. You know what I'm saying? The flannel budget alone. <laughs> okay, I don't know what that's about, but a, I mean... That's a grunge reference, Dave. I see, I see. I live in a city where uh, literally people happens. wear... People wear flannel to like, I mean, you know, literally black where tie it was dinners. created. Yeah, you're the most player of grunge right yeah. there. Yes, Come on. yes, yes. So, okay. So the what 90s is are the, alive and well and living in Seattle. <laughs> that's right. The dream of the 90s is alive in Seattle. So the problem with the little things, I would say a couple problems. Denzel is always great. Um, but I would say Rami Malek is hopelessly miscast in this movie. I mean. He looks ridiculous. He looks he, like he, a, a child in detective <laughs> clothes. Okay. I mean, that's not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's a bad sign when the first uh, minute this guy's on screen, I'm like, is he the killer? Even though he's the detective that's supposed to solve this. This is Rami Malek. This is Rami Malek's eyes. I'm not, like, saying, I'm not saying whether or not he's the killer or not. I'm just saying like, that's the, that's, it was immediately where my mind went to. Which is uh, literally his you know, appeal, it, by the way. Like that is the appeal of Rami Malek's. Like you don't, don't know what to do with this guy's face. I love him. I love him so much, but he's also like inherently untrustworthy because of it's the same thought I had yeah. when I started watching Bohemian Rhapsody. He's like, is yes. this guy the killer? <laughs> <laughs> and the killer uh, queen. <laughs> and then Jer- Jared Leto plays basically a creepy dude who's the primary suspect of his murder or this, uh, so this real se- life as a real life Jared yeah. Leto. So, yeah. so playing not against type and he, uh, he's supposed to be like a blue collar mechanic in this movie that has like a, a pot belly and a limp, but it's, it seems like he's just wearing like a costume pot. You know, it, it doesn't, mm. I don't think he gained like 50 pounds for this role. I think he just like put on some padded clothing and stuff. So he just looks weird, you know, and his whole, um, the, he, it, it seems maximally calibrated to weird you out his performance. Right. Well, that sounds like how you get Jared Leto to mm-hmm. sign on to your movie. Indeed. Yeah, how you know? weird is it? Yeah. You want to, yeah. you want a pot belly and a limp bro. And he's like, yeah. Oh nah, yeah, now nah, I'll sign. Yeah. Um, so the, the, you know, the thing is Denzel Washington guys, you may recall, uh, was almost supposed to be in the David Fincher film seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was supposed to play detective Mills, who is eventually, was eventually played by Brad Pitt. And it has felt like he has been trying to make seven ever since that movie. Uh, like look at all the serial killer movies he starred in since then. You got movies like, fallen and the bone collector you know and like he's been in multiple movies where he plays a character that's trying to catch a serial killer that trend culminates with the little things which is such a carbon copy of seven that like if i described to you all of the plot details that were similar you you would you you would probably be shocked this would be one of the boom goes the dynamite for the ages i'm not going to do that because it would spoil the little things it's a boom goes the dynamite as a movie Yes, I mean, suffice to say, you got, you know, older black detective 
uh, this time played by Denzel Washington, who's who's kind of uh, kind of taken this uh, this younger, cocky oh, white detective played by Rami Malek in this case poor, under his poor wing. Poor Denzel, by the way, like live long enough to be the Morgan Freeman in Seven. Yeah, apparently. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know they're trying to solve a. Uh, uh, serial, like they're trying to find and catch a serial killer um, with these like series of unsolved crimes. Does, does he leave? Cl- does he leave clues? Please tell me he leaves clues. <laughs> he he leaves, some, he, he leaves some clues. He leaves some clues. Oh, um, but uh, anyway, so it's but the thing is, it's obviously not as transgressive as seven. So actually, I went back and rewatched seven after watching this, and I mean that movie still holds up. It's incredible. It's Pretty like one good. of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. Um, it really is. So it's well right. done. And so haunting. Uh, the ending is just perfect. The casting, Howard yeah. Shore's score, Darius Seven Kanji was so good. Was it basically, I mean, it basically broke the serial killer movies. Like, I, it started with Silence of the Lambs in the 90s, right? And then Seven just, like, kind of one-upped it. And then it just felt like a lot of Ashley Judd movies at that point. The best way to think <laughs> yeah. of this movie, the best way to think of the little things is uh, Seven is a movie that came out in 1995. And... You know, that movie did pretty well. Um, it made uh, $327 million worldwide box office. And everyone, like, think of all the movie studio magnates in their in their uh, offices chewing on cigars. They mm-hmm. get me some more of these seven-like scripts, you see? And uh, so then they went out and tried to, to write these yeah. movies that were like seven, of which The Little Things was one of them. And then just by like historical accident, the movie just didn't get made for 25 years. Yeah. It's basically uh, the, the Key and Peele Trolls 2 sketch of, uh, of a wow. seven follow-up, it sounds like. Deep cut, Devendra. Deep cut. I mean, come on. Classic sketch. But also, apparently Spielberg passed on the script. Everybody passed on it, from what I hear. Ridley Scott passed on it. Yeah. The movie, in my opinion, adds very, very little to the, the detective genre and um the let's just say in light of the in light of all that's happened in america in the last year and how we as a society are reevaluating um how we perceive police and how what like what the role of media is in you know perpetuating our uh, image of police yeah. uh i find it to be highly problematic and i'll just leave it at that so uh the little things it's streaming right now on hbo max i did not care for it uh, but you, some people thought it was okay. You may, you may enjoy it. It's always nice to see Denzel playing a cop, though. I mean, you can't, you just, can't turn that make, down, right? Make the real Inside Man sequel. Apparently, there is like a direct video Inside Man two that already yes. exists. But I want, I want that real sequel. Come on, <laughs> you want to inject that in your in your veins? Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, Sundance. This Sundance Film Festival is going on this week. Devinger's been really in it. I have been, <laughs> uh, I have started to get into it, um, although I, I failed horribly. And I'll tell you exactly. So when I first saw that Sundance was going online, I, I was like, well, I don't know if I, I can do all this work to watch these movies because the work uh, of buying a ticket and clicking a button in your web browser. Yeah. Okay. You, you know, you say you, you mock me and that's fair. Completely uh-huh. fair. Um, but also uh, it's a lot of work to go to film festivals because you got to decide what to see. Sure. And uh, <laughs> I, the hardest work. Yeah. 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 It's, it's taxing. And, uh, and so I was like, do I, do I want to like get into this? And also I didn't know like how hard it would be, would be to like actually um, watch movies. Like I tried to yeah. see movies that like, 
virtual TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival this year, and like found that experience to be really challenging because there are some movies that were like, this movie can't play outside of Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, which movie? I just want to, I just want to watch you, some you know, movies, Dave, guys. You do know somebody who has been dutifully doing a lot of work to plan and prepare and talking with people in Sundance uh, that you never engaged as you were dealing with all these questions. Uh-huh. Is that is that a person, a co-host on this podcast? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, is his name Bluff Blanada? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so, well, so, okay. Okay, so what happened was, Devendra, I, I saw you talking it up. And then uh-huh. I saw literally all of the people I follow saying like, hey, I just saw this movie at Sundance. It was incredible. Uh, the FOMO saw, got you. Yeah, the That's, FOMO that got was me. It. Then I saw that Coda, a film that premiered at Sundance, had been sold for a record-breaking $25 million to Apple TV+. Plus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like pretty eye-watering price um, for a movie. And it's also kind of a, somebody on, on Twitter described it as a signal flare into the sky to be like, mm-hmm. Guess what, filmmaker is like Apple TV Plus is a place you can go to to tout your wares. Yeah, uh, so that, was it was impressive. Palm Springs last week, last year, right? Yeah, Palm Springs. That. I think it was over like yeah. twenty million dollars mm-hmm. sold last year. So was, these are these are like massive deals. Uh, and so then I'm like, okay, okay, and then, and also Devendra, you talking about it on last week's episode of the podcast. Uh huh. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna look where, into where this. So, I believe David Chen's response was. Puh. Looks like garbage <laughs> at Sundance. Uh, okay, no good movies. Talking about the virtual reality experience, but yes. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, look, hey, I'm I'm eating crow on the podcast, Devendra. So I def- decided to investigate. I'm like, oh wow, there's some really some really cool stuff on here. Now, here's what I'm gonna say. I think the schedule on the sun. So so as you're listening to this, yeah. it is possible to go to the Sundance website, buy tickets, and then watch movies on your computer. Right? I think Which only is, the last day screenings. Yeah, so like, like previous day is what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. The previous day of screenings you can watch, right? Um, well, or if so, they're okay, premiering, okay. right? So yeah, it's confusing, and they're they're doing virtual like a whole bunch of folks. There are premiere screening times for a lot of films, and those have a three hour window of when you can view them. Then there are second day. There's like a you right. know a second time to watch it. Those last for 24 hours. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, you know, February second, or you can watch 3rd. all of Monday's movies. Basically, there's right. a chance. Well, there's a chance you may. It depends on like the time of the day and everything. But hey, right. give it a shot. See what's available. Yeah, yeah and now, let me rules. ask you guys this question. Uh, yeah, what's mm-hmm. up, Jeff? Why? Like, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it when it's a it's a film festival that takes place in a city that has theaters that you go to, and there are times to see a thing, but. I don't, I mean, I understand this sort of prestige level. Oh, you have to be there at a time. And, but it's just manufactured. All of that is completely arbitrary. And, you know, why not just let people buy a ticket to Sundance and watch whatever they want for the week I mean, or go, whatever it is? Yeah. Go ask John Sundance, Jeff. Okay. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't have the answers to these questions. Hmm. I think his name is actually Jake Sundance. To be Jake good, but, Sundance. But, but uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I think there is actually a reason for it, because if you look at what's happening on Twitter and everything, right, like there is a controlled amount of buzz at specific times. So, hey, if it, if it was just like a Netflix free for all and our brains were just froze up with the amount of things to watch, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if there would have been like that same sort of like buzz for certain things because no, like everybody wouldn't be watching it at the same right. time. Like, yeah, this is the whole I guess I agree. that's true. I agree. So, but I also so feel like the whole idea of this is a little ridiculous. Hey man, you know, the, I, w- I want to believe movies are still alive, Jeff. Okay, like we had a year <laughs> okay. where I couldn't step Sorry. into theaters. 
you know, I want this business to survive. So looking at these movies, looking at Apple saying like, hey, $25 million for this thing, uh, it gives me hope for the future of cinema. That is why I am really doing this. And also I've convinced Engadget that we can do a lot more Sundance coverage now that it's virtual. So, you know, that's me. That's why I'm doing it. Right, yeah, I Jeff, don't wanna... uh, why do you like hate everything about <laughs> I, what we are? I don't mean to point out anymore. the emperor has no clothes. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, so let me tell you about Hollywood, Jeff, and uh, <laughs> that whole industry. You know, I want to. I, I want to finish. Like, follow up with a couple of things Devinder said about the thing, right? So, like, the experience is um, when a movie premieres. So, let's say a movie's premiering at like 7 p.m. tonight. You have a three-hour. You can buy a ticket. You have a three-hour window with which to start it. Once you start it. You have then four hours to complete it. You can pause it. You can rewind it. But then after four hours, regardless of what you're doing, you must complete it. And you, and you are so, allowed exactly yeah. one container of popped corn. No more, no less. Well, I so this happened to me where I purchased a – Well, so, so let me just finish the thought, which is that it is kind of manufacturing – uh, the the kind of online buzz that a film festival would generate, right? Which is to say, uh, these these quote unquote online screenings they sell out. I tried to get a ticket to that Nick Cage movie, and uh, I had it in the cart, and before I could check out, it was sold out. And it's like Too you slow. can't you can't buy any tickets to the Nick Cage There's thing anymore. There's only so many bits to deliver, man. This, can't do uh, it. Yeah, the, yeah. The bandwidth is so precious, Jeffrey. Bandwidth yeah. is so precious. So, uh, uh, yeah, so you, the things can sell out. You must watch it within a specific time frame. Wait, and you guys joke, by the way, but that is literally true. The bandwidth is, it is costs a lot of money <laughs> to to turn a like a little thing of Sundance that has like 300 to 400 seats of people to, hey, world, just come stream this thing. Like, we're Netflix or some shit. Like, that is that is a whole other different level of infrastructure and costs they have to deal with. So you know, it's true. Sure, but there's it's like true. lots of lots of platforms that can do that for you. It's not like you have to do it yourself. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I mean, none, none that are theoretically, uh, you know, like they need to like watermark all the, you know, yeah. all the movies yeah. to make sure you don't like steal it, or if you do steal it, that you'll be marked with a scarlet letter because you stole. You know, like it's not just as simple as let's upload these to Vimeo and put a password on it. Like it doesn't work that way. So I, I actually, that's a good call out, Devendra. Um, but that said, yeah, yes, I'm, I, I'm the I mean, tech guy. I will call this shit out. <laughs> that said, well, I did work yeah. for. I mean, there's plenty of like Oscar screeners do it, and there's there's companies that who, who like specialize in that. I, yeah, for like I think it's 100 a hundred people a, to go watch this thing. You know, mm-hmm, like for yeah, a very small cadre. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So. Um, Let's basically keep disagreeing with Jeff until he gives up on this line of argument is what I really think we should do. Um, so, so anyway. a normal episode of the show. <laughs> a normal episode. So basically, I purchased a ticket to go see uh, Glitch in the Matrix, which is Rodney Asher's new movie. And I'm like, oh, I'm really, you know, tell my wife, I was like, I'm really excited about this Glitch in the Matrix movie. This should be really cool. And then um, uh, I'm online late Saturday night. Uh, and I'm like, I, I can't wait to watch Glitz in the Matrix on Sunday, right? Uh-huh. And I'm online Saturday night, you know, uh, like editing some podcasts. And then all of a sudden on my Twitter feed, I see like a bunch of people tweeting about Glitch in the Matrix, like Glitch in the Matrix is a great documentary. I'm like, huh, well, I wasn't supposed to watch that until it's premiere tomorrow night. Uh, I looked online only to discover I had purchased the ticket for the wrong day. Like I thought it was Sunday and I had in fact purchased it for Saturday and it Man. was 11 PM. You, you so are so was... out of practice, Dave, of buying theater tickets. Yep. You just yeah. like, so, <laughs> you couldn't even get the date. 
That's amazing. No, that's that's correct. So I got the date wrong, and it's 11 p.m. And I'm like, well, I can either lose the 15 bucks, or because by that by by the time I wait till tomorrow, like the movie will have lapsed because of yeah, this arbitrary yeah. rule that Jeff was talking about, um, or I can stay up until you know one o'clock watching this documentary. So I stayed up until one o'clock watching it. That is a rough movie, by the way, to keep to stay up for because it gets dark. Yeah, it gets you know? dark. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about that movie right after this break for our sponsors. Hey, folks! I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. You know, I'm falling apart. I have been very clear about this. My body is falling apart, which is why I am so glad I have. A Theragun. My wife and I are absolutely in love with our Theragun. I have major shoulder and neck pain. My wife has back pain. We use the Theragun liberally. We make it into a nightly routine. She's like, hey, do you want me to Theragun your back? And I say, yes. Can I Theragun your back? Yes. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. Now, let me break that down for you a bit. This thing is amazing. You may have seen, you may have experienced massaging implements in your time, things that are supposed to feel incredible. I guarantee you, you have never felt anything like the Gen 4 Theragun. It doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing your tension. This thing is incredible. You feel like you're using a piece of actual, like, NASA hardware. I mean, it is unbelievable the build quality the they have this this percussive therapy which goes 60 percent deeper than vibration alone now whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or, for, or from an injury or just stress like i do my i hurt myself by sitting it's ridiculous there is no substitute for theragun gen 4 i'm telling you from personal experience this thing works wonders. It has an OLED screen and a design that make you feel like you're holding something from the future. I'm telling you, it's like NASA technology. It's like alien space technology. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of of thousands of customers, and me! My wife and I use it. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at $199. Go to theragun.com filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com filmcast. Theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, so... Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, we are going to talk about some Sundance movies. I saw Glitch in the Matrix. So Glitch in the Matrix mm -hmm. is a movie by Rodney Asher. Uh, Rodney Asher, I have enjoyed some of his other movies. I think he made, what, The Nightmare. My favorite movie of his is Room 237 about uh, The Shining. Jeff, you seen uh, you seen Room 237 by any chance? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yes, it's the mm -hmm. documentary about The Shining. Yeah. It's just like a bunch of people... Yeah, sharing like fan theories oral about the history Shining. Crazy of the, theories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Glitch in the Matrix takes an extremely similar approach to that, but 
instead of evaluating the shining, it evaluates um, the I, the simulation theory, right? Like whether or right. not we are in a simulation, like we on this planet are living in a simulation. And if that's what you're looking for, if you know, it's like, hey, I want to hear a bunch of randos, you know, yeah. some of who, who are very well credentialed. Yeah, yeah. If I, I want to hear a bunch of randos, some of whom are like very intelligent, very credentialed, you know, and some of whom are just random people um musing on the nature of simulation theory then a glitch in the matrix is going to be a movie that you will enjoy uh but if you are looking for something like more deep and you know like a a more rigorous examination of whether or not it's true for instance you know evidence for and against i think you'll be left wanting also by the way uh i discovered when watching this movie uh, at the beginning, they reveal, I think, that Magnolia is going to be distributing it, like, later in February. Uh, so I was like, huh, well, I probably could have waited and, like, bought Literally this movie. Literally February 5th. Yeah. yeah. I could have bought this movie, like, for the same price, you know, probably in, like, a few weeks. Uh, so I wish that film festivals would, like, put next to the thing, this movie will be available on HBO Max in three weeks. But that would kind of work completely against their interests. Uh, that said, kind of a bummer. I'm like, oh, like, I, I didn't need to stay up watching this movie tonight. Um, but, I feel like you can sum up simulation theory in like three sentences. Mm-hmm. Does it need a whole movie? Well, Devendra, you, you, you watch this movie. What do you think? Nope. Well, so, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I do think this is a movie. I, I like the concept. I like the idea. And I like, I, I think I always like Rodney Asher's movies more in theory than in like actually sitting through them. Like the Nightmare was just kind of about that, that was about people who thought they were being abducted, but it was actually more about um, night terrors basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, room two thirty seven. I just, the theories are fine, but I don't, I don't, I'm not fascinated by this subculture of people who have super crazy theories about the shining that does not reveal more about the movie to me or anything. Well, and this seems I, I, even I would argue, I would argue that room 237 yeah. kind of by juxtaposing all the fan theories in the way that it does transcends like just being about these randos talking about the shining and it becomes more about like the nature of fan culture and the death of the author and things like that you know um but that's because they're talking about a work of art yeah right something that that is yeah yeah yeah. exactly and something we've all seen you know does if you believe in simulation theory they're also talking about a work Mm -hmm. of art (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh but no this movie is it's it's too much of randos talking about sim theory um, he does get Nick Bostrom in, you know, the guy yes. who basically yeah. wrote the the paper that a lot of our, um, you know, discussions are based on. That's why Elon Musk and a lot of people talk about it. It is a really interesting concept because if you think about who we are as human beings and how we tell stories, um, this idea has existed with us forever since Plato, since Plato's, you know, um idea of allegory of the cave right allegory of the cave and shadows on the wall like the idea that we are living in this some sort of what the reality that we're seeing is not real um you know descartes a lot of people have explored this i don't think this movie kind of does much with it and then at some point not a huge i'm not i'm not gonna say like there's something really sad Yeah, there's some really dark material in the movie Yeah. yeah and there are certainly it does start to explore the idea of like okay what if somebody really believes this and somebody is really into the matrix and shit just gets real, you know, like in ways that are super dark. It, this movie got really dark and I did not expect that all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I feel like at yeah, Tonely, it's a little all over the place. I would have liked it to be deeper because there is there is something to think about here. And also the idea, like, which is where I kind of personally lie, is that uh, 
it doesn't like it doesn't fundamentally matter to our daily lives, right? Like if we're living in a simulation or not, it doesn't because like our real world morals, the way we live our lives, the way we relate to each other doesn't change. It shouldn't change. This movie does bring up the idea that, yeah, some people who believe in sim theory will just like become animals, like any sense of uh, society or civilization they have just disappears because apparently reality is not real enough for them. So I would have liked more of that. I would have liked exploring more of that, talking with the deeper guys. Um, I feel like Elon Musk, uh, he would have been a big get for a movie like this, but somebody else, you know. He was hanging out in Clubhouse instead. Yeah, 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 what a a shit show that was, yeah. I mean, I I have not seen this movie, but I am a huge fan of Nick Bostrom in his writing. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's great. My understanding of his position on... Sim theory is it's just probability. Yep. His, his position is like, I- I- unless you think there's some great cosmic filter where, you know, human beings are going to die out, then there was a point, there will be a point at which a sufficiently advanced civilization will be able to create uh, a, a synthetic version of the world. And if you believe that's the case, then there will be always be more of that than there are actual people in the world. So the probability is we're that just uh-huh. that's just probability, right? Yeah. Do you, do you believe like that, Jeff? Do you believe that? I, I think it's a compelling argument, but it, mm-hmm. but I'm with Devendra. Like it doesn't actually matter, right? If the simulation is, it, it, my experience is attempting to minimize suffering in the world, right? Whether mm-hmm. that's suffering that's in, incurred from a simulation or suffering that's incurred from actually living in the world, it doesn't matter, right? I, as a human being, my goal is to minimize suffering with myself and others. And so that it doesn't change, right? It doesn't change. If, if the, the experiences that I'm, the input that I'm getting is manufactured or it's mm-hmm. legitimate, it's still the same input and I have to deal with them in the same ways, right? Yep. Let, let, let me tell you guys something fun, by the way. Like this movie briefly shows a clip of George Hotz, aka Geo Hotz, the one of the original like iPhone jailbreaking hackers. Um, it shows a clip of him doing a session at South by Southwest in 2019. I sat in on that thing, and um, he just sounds like a madman. But it is a really entertaining presentation to to just go watch because it looks like a kid who just comes in from nowhere, right? He just like stumbles into the stage has not prepared at all and just like starts talking for an hour about his idea of sim theory and his goal of breaking the simulation. And it was the strangest thing I've ever experienced at South by. And I've experienced some really strange things there. So uh, I would have liked to see more of that because uh, the world needs to see more of what this guy did. Uh, You can find his thing. It's called jailbreaking the simulation with George Hotz. It is on YouTube right now, but like more of that, more of the wild kind of ways people are dealing with this right now would have been interesting in this film rather than randos in CG avatars. Right. I'll just say one last thing about this movie. And uh, the reason we're talking about it so much is because like you, you will actually be able to see this movie shortly. Uh, But the, the thing is that Rodney Asher's approach to filmmaking has primarily been like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to juxtapose a bunch of different perspectives on this topic in an, in an, in a fairly interesting way. And like, one could argue that the way in which I'm juxtaposing these topics is like me saying something about this topic, right? But he himself doesn't really intervene. He's not like Morgan Spurlock. He doesn't get in there and say like, well, I think simulation theory is like this. You know, like he doesn't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. He just lets the people talk for themselves and lets the the way it's edited and assembled like make the point for him. 
And I'll just say, I think we're starting to see the limits of that approach with this movie, <laughs> right? Because I think that this, with something as like sweeping and as all-encompassing as a topic like this, it just is like, at the end of the day, it's it's somewhat hard for me to get a sense of what he thinks on it. But also, I felt like I needed a, a more of a guide through this mm-hmm. topic than I think what mm-hmm. this movie offers. Um, that's just a thought, though. I just saw this, you know, a couple nights ago, extremely late at night. So, um, but in, in any case, uh, Glitch in the Matrix, the name of the movie, Rodney Asher, very talented filmmaker. Um, I, I, if you have no idea what simulation theory is, I actually think this is a good movie. But if you've done some reading about it already, you've explored it a little bit. I don't know that this movie's going to add that much. Yeah. Um, so it's Glitch in the Matrix. I saw it at Sundance. It'll be available, uh, I think, February 5th. February 5th, uh, yeah. I don't know if that's like, quote unquote, in theaters or streaming or whatever, but you'll be able to see it at some point soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Let's go to Jeff first, actually, before we go to the rest of your Sundance uh, slate here. Jeff, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I used a resource that I love. It's called the Slash Film... Ca- no, the uh, sl- <laughs> Slash Tag. You messed it up, Jeff. I you, did mess you, you it played, up. You played yourself. You played yourself. Hoisted on my own petard, as yeah. usual. Yep. Uh, nice. The hashtag slash tag, which is something I adore uh, and often try to bring up on the show because I really, really find it useful. It is a hashtag that we use here on the show that you can use, dear listener, to suggest things to us, to suggest things to one another. It's a unifying force around which we can all... Share the best and the be- the best of, of the watchins, the best of the streams. Um, and I have noticed repeatedly a film come up as recommended. That film is called Black Bear. Uh, and I finally got around to watching it. It's been streaming on Amazon Prime, I believe, for uh, several weeks now. I think even before the end of the year, people were talking about it as one of the films of the that they liked of 2020. Uh, I did not see it until this week, but I finally got around to watching it. Have either of you seen it? Not yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've heard great things. Uh, I'd also like to check it out. I think like Aubrey Plaza is doing some really Amazing. interesting things in indie films. Like yeah. she is really, yeah, uh, yeah she's really uh, put blossoming into a uh, a really spectacular actress who takes challenging work takes, and takes does. Chances. In, yeah. I mean, there are chances taken uh, in this movie. Reminds Mm -hmm. me of like uh, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, you know, um, as well. You know, I'll be proud of probably the thing most people know her from is Parks and Recreation is my guess. Of course, yeah. But uh, she has like parlayed that into just really challenging, interesting roles uh, in indie films. Uh, and she's I somebody her, who, yeah, she, let me just say, like, she genuinely believes in indie cinema in many ways, too. Like, she's hosted the Indie Spirit Awards, I believe, several times. Like, she is, she's out there promoting films, telling people to watch things and kind of love that. Yeah. I really liked her in uh, Ingrid Goes West, which is mm-hmm. a really uh, yeah. fascinating exploration of uh, of uh, social media in in the influencer age. Anyway, uh, what did you think of Blackbeard, uh, Jeff? Is this, a, is this another... Thing to add to the Aubrey Plaza canon is: Do you either of you knew, know anything about this movie? No, no yeah, I, I've I seen the trailer any, and I've yeah, don't know any of the. Well, point. then I can't really talk about it. No, you can talk um, about it. You can talk about it. I'll take the headphones off. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're going to give away the premise of the movie, right? Well, yeah, and yeah, the, premise the premise is kind of everything. Um, so go ahead, yeah, go ahead. if you if if you don't want to hear the premise of of Black Bear, tune out for the next like I mean one minute. Or so. I can I can give you general thoughts. I, I found this movie uh, fascinating, but 
absolutely baffling and it didn't add up to anything for me. Uh, my wife and I watched it together. We sat up uh, afterwards looking up discussions online about it, debating it ourselves. So in that sense, like interesting, but ultimately our takeaway was like, I don't think it achieved what it wanted to achieve. Uh, and it, it is a movie that, man, it's so hard to talk about because there's a, there's a very fundamentally unique thing that this movie does that is everything, but I didn't know it going in, and I, I think it's important not to know it going in. I see. So, uh, yeah, it is a, a very strange film, uh, compelling in a lot of ways. I mean, it is up my alley in a lot of ways, like, you know, people in a room talking. <laughs> I dig that. But, um, man, it's 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 challenging. It's interesting. It, it It raises interesting questions. It does things very differently. But I wish it had more connective tissue to something resembling anything, right? It is. It it doesn't end up giving me a thesis statement or any any clues as to coming to a thesis statement. It just presents itself in all its sort of messy glory and asks me to do a whole lot of work. Now, I like movies that ask me to meet them halfway. I like movies that ask me to do some work. But I feel like this movie wants me to make sense of it uh, instead of, uh, you know, in, in, instead of sort of um, connect dots that it leaves. It doesn't, it has dots. I'm not sure there's actually any connection. <laughs> I don't know. But I'd love to have a <laughs> deeper discussion with both of you about it at some point. It's, it, it's just one that like, even talking about what I'm talking about is kind of ruins the experience of the movie. I think it'd be a good uh, after dark yeah. down the line. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Um, well, I'm sorry you didn't have a good experience with this one, Jeff. Uh, well, I, I don't even know if that's the correct framing. It's not that I didn't have a good experience. I, I, like I said, I was my wife and I were both engaged throughout. We were on the edge of our seats, but we kept waiting for the connections to be made. And they never came. And, uh, and, and, and even in reading what other people came to about it, what people love about this movie who love it is that it doesn't have any clear, uh, you know, resolve. And, 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 I, and sometimes I like movies that do that. Sometimes I like movies that lay themselves in my lap and ask me to do all the work. But I just didn't think that even doing the work resulted in what... I would like out of a movie. And I'm talking in very vague terms, but, um, and so it's probably not particularly interesting to listen to. So I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Well, the movie's Black Bear. You rented it, I assume, on digital, yeah? Yeah, I think it was seven bucks, something like that. All right. Devendra, why don't you take us through uh, one or two of your Sundance choices before we take a break? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to list the, you know, the things I've liked the most to the things I've liked the least. I think that's the easiest way to go through this. And uh, the movie that stuck with me the most is Flea, which is directed by Jonas Pohor Rasmussen. It is a it's an animated documentary because it's about the story of a guy, um, a man who lives in Denmark, who is an Afghan refugee and to protect his identity and so that you know his uh his immigration status doesn't get you know messed up or anything he they chose to tell it this way and i think it's a beautiful story of a man recounting you know basically how his life was destroyed by um by war in afghanistan and the difficulties of his family 
getting to safety and finding safety and asylum in Europe. And it's, um, it's incredibly harrowing. And I think it is worth the journey. Um, it is one of those, like, I feel like when you talk about refugee documentaries or something like you're expecting something that is absolutely depressing. And this does have aspects of that because yeah, his family has to be um, basically be in hiding in Moscow for a while. And the stories of how they get out of there is just awful and makes me sick to my stomach. But I think this is ultimately a really hopeful documentary. And, you know, this is a story told from a place of hope. Um, this guy is basically telling the story because he's on the verge of getting married to a man in Denmark. And it is sort of like him trying to piece his life together in a way, like before he settles down to a peaceful domestic life. And I found it really fascinating in that way. The animation looks great. It's not like it is kind of uh, almost rotoscope looking. But it's really, um, it's just like a really unique style. And they do intersperse live footage and, you know, news footage and things like that, too. So I think it is a really fascinating portrayal of somebody who had to live through, you know, the life of of escaping Afghanistan and trying to find a new life for themselves in Europe and how difficult it is and how that experience will just reshape you, you know, and change you for the rest of your life. I think it's definitely worth watching whenever it's available. Uh, so the movie is Flea. It was at Sundance this year, and I've heard great buzz about it. This remind hearing you talk about it reminds me of Ari Fullman's film Walt- yes. Waltz with Bashir. Yes, right? very much. Uh, which is also a documentary that's animated and also deals with like very dark and upsetting subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, would you is is it a movie that like kind of reminded you of that one or? I mean, a bit like that. This is, I think, a little more personal. Watts with Bashir also had, like, gorgeous animation. You know, that that was, a, like, a very fluid, very fantastical film at times, whereas this one, I think, is a little more simplistic. But the story it's telling um, and this the way this man tells the story of his life, uh, it is it is so, like, effective. So, yeah, it, it's similar, but I, I think a very different style of animation. Very cool. Again, the movie is Flea, and uh, it's sold to Neon. So you will be able to see it at some point, probably the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Devinder watched it at Sundance. It's time for me to hop in here and tell you about our sponsor, Candid. Are you unhappy with your smile? You don't have to be. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help strengthen their teeth. And now... They love their smile, just like Justin M. from Atlanta, Georgia, Devendra's neck of the woods. Justin M. writes, when I was younger, I used to have a gap in the front and on the side. I noticed that people would always look at my mouth first, so I was looking for a fix. Candid ended up being the perfect company for me. You can't stop me from smiling now. There's no comparison. Wow. And Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile, too. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who is an expert in tooth movement. You'll have the same quality of care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist and from the comfort and convenience of your own home. And while other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. The average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. My wife used Candid. Her smile has improved dramatically. She found it to be easy and effective so comfortable. It worked right into her lifestyle. 
you can become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid's starter kit. Go to candidco.com slash filmcast and use the code filmcast. That's candidco.com slash filmcast with the code filmcast. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. C-A-N-D-I-D-C-O dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and that promo code filmcast. Hey, it's time for me to talk to you about our sponsor, Majuri. Now, Majuri makes fine jewelry for every day. And I just became the husband of the year because I got my wife a Majuri ring that she absolutely loved. These are fairly priced, handcrafted, ethically sourced, and made-to-last pieces of jewelry. You get all of the beauty that you look for minus the traditional markups. Traditional jewelers, they have seasonal releases. Majuri drops new products every Monday of the year from 14-karat solid gold staples to men's collections featuring sterling silver and titanium pieces. There's really something for everyone. And for Valentine's Day, which is right around the corner... You gotta, you gotta come strong, right? Majuri's got cliche-proof gifts that'll long outlive chocolates or flowers. From small tokens to grand gestures, shop one of their six curated Valentine's Day gift guides for a swoon-worthy gift that's made to last. Don't miss your chance to pull off that Valentine's Day grand gesture you promised last year. With Majuri, V-Day has never been easier. Just pick the gift and they'll take care of the rest. Free shipping and gift wrapping included. Visit Majuri.com slash filmcast for 10% off your first order. That's Majuri.com slash filmcast for 10% off your first order. M-E-J-U-R-I.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Make this Valentine's Day beautiful with jewelry from Majuri. Devendra, tell us more of the Sundance movies you've been watching. Another one I really liked is Users. This is a documentary by Natalia Almada. And uh, I was looking at this from like the tech angle for Engadget, basically, because it's about uh, it's described as like a film that's about exploring our relationship with technology, the intended and uh, unintended consequences of it in our in our world. And I expected something that was maybe a little preachy, but it's actually more of just like a tone poem of a new parent who is looking at you know, how she is raising her kids and the way, you know, technology is affecting her life and how it may potentially affect them in the future. One of the opening shots is her baby in the snoo smart bassinet, which is this, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it is this little robotic thing where you strap down the yeah. baby into the, <laughs> into like, yeah, the little, um, I forget, I forget what was the thing, uh, but the, you know, the little like burrito mode, that's the best way to wrap babies up. And you strap them into this thing. If they cry, It'll automatically make white noise sounds. It'll shake them to sleep. And for a lot of people, it's really effective. But she starts this documentary by just saying, like, you know, before when we used to have children, we we didn't know what gender our kids would be. You know, we didn't know when the baby would actually arrive. It was all a very basic thing. And now we've gotten to the point where we could stick our kid in this you know, basket and hit a button and it'll soothe them to sleep. This is a documentary that's really about exploring what we lose in kind of those situations. And it's not like she's saying don't do it because like Natalia Amada 
relies in technology too for a lot of her her work it is um it's a movie that's always kind of showing us the difference between the natural world and the technological world it kind of it reminds me a lot of the scotty films like queen of scotty uh there is a bit of voiceover as she you know brings up potential you know topics and ideas from her life but so much of it is just images juxtaposed next to each other with a great score that i believe was composed by her husband and performed by the chronos quartet and um strange to say this about a documentary but incredible sound design like watch i watched this thing with headphones and just the way certain shots would hit me um like crashing waves or um i believe one was like a water treatment plant that was just so so loud the way this movie tells stories with like gorgeous imagery and really really impactful sound i thought was really interesting so yeah it is one of those documentaries you kind of just experience right you watch it and your brain just kind of awakens in certain ways it's something that's meant to make you aware of the fact that hey our lives at least pre-pandemic right things were pretty sweet we could we could do all sorts (laughs) of stuff in our modern lives, right? Everything was easy. It was it was all easy street for so many of us. If if you could afford a high tech life in a way, a modern life, um, things were so convenient and so easy. And this is a movie that kind of reflects on what we lose by making things so easy in a certain way. Um, so yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. I'll be writing this up at Engadget as well. All right, the movie is Flea. I'm sorry, you already said Flea. Users. And it was acquired by Film Constellation, which is a London-based production uh, and financing company. So it seems like people will be able to see users. Um, I hope so. Yeah, Mm -hmm. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, also, one thing like about that sound design, they apparently got some money from Dolby. So they were able to master it in Dolby nice. Vision and do Dolby Atmos sound. So I didn't hear that. Like I saw a crappy little uh, web stream of it. But I, I, I would rewatch this movie easily to see the full mix. Yeah. So you bring up a couple of things about the Sundance experience that I also wanted to mention um, to Jeff Kanata specifically. Uh, number one is that uh, there is one of the things that Sundance going online is able to afford us is that uh, you, you can kind of experience that special feeling of being one of the first people in the world to see a movie, right? That's kind of one of the, I've been to Sundance twice. I loved it both times, even though it is extremely cold and brutal to like watch five movies in a day and then write like five reviews, you know, like, but what's great about it is you're like witnessing you're watching movies that people will be talking about the rest of the year. Um, of course, there's also a, f- a few stinkers in there, but like there's, and also some of these movies may never get distribution. Yeah. You know, like some of these movies people may never see again. And so uh, there's something special about like being one of the few people to see a movie or being yeah. one of the first people to see a movie that, that even the online version of the festival offers. Um, so yeah, I no, I, I, I've been to enough film festivals to have, have you a though? point of reference. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I kid Jeff. I kid Jeff. Yeah, why I've would you go experience. to a film festival, Jeff? I mean, it just seems like a complete waste of time. Yeah. Why not I've, just wait for it to show up at the local multiplexes? That's just not what my argument, my argument was the, <laughs> the, all of the, uh, arbitrary formation to create a situation where. Right. The, you know, the, the They're virtual scarcity. They're engineering. Exactly. Scarcity. Yeah. That's of, all. Like, I, I wasn't saying why thing, do people go to film festivals? Like, I, I know that. The other I thing, by the way, is that a lot of these that. movies head to Sundance and aren't acquired yet. Right. So it is like, you need that buzz. So somebody literally buys this movie, you know, to yeah. get it distributed right. and everything. So there, there, there were that. doubts, there were doubts that that buzz would happen, but it has yep. happened already. Like mm-hmm. there are movies are selling. So, 
Um, the thing that is kind of a bummer, I'll just say about the Sundance experience, I just realized is that like, mm-hmm. uh, is, is you are watching these movies on a computer. I don't think there's an app as far nope. as I can tell, right? Nope, that's there's not, no like you can, TV You can app. airplay, you can Chromecast yeah, and there yeah. is a TV app. There is a TV oh, app. They didn't, oh. they didn't really okay. sell this very well. And actually in my, in the run up to the show, they didn't really talk about it at all. Like everybody was just saying, oh yeah, just Chromecast or AirPlay, which works. It's fine. But I think AirPlay is a crappy standard because it it's always janky. fails on me. It's, it's janky, not, yeah. it's not great. But I want to be sending can... movies to my TV via Wi-Fi, you know, like via Wi-Fi. Just, yeah. But anyway. I mean, technically that should be better than streaming it from a random server on the internet, you know, like technically it should, but that doesn't really work out. There yeah. is an yeah. app where if you get the pass, if you have one of the passes, I don't know if this works with the ticket, but if you have a pass, um, then you can like plug that into your Apple TV and you can see all the movies on your schedule. That doesn't work for everything. There are some like early preview movies some people can get access to and some things you can only watch on your computer. But yeah, even then. Chromecast it, Apple AirPlay it. You know there are ways to get it to your TV. It's not. It's not like impossible. Interesting. I have so when I say AirPlay, I, I use AirPlay all the time for like YouTube videos and stuff, yeah. or like Twitter videos. But like whenever I've tried AirPlaying like something longer length, it just is has been a, a pain. So there's, I'll, yeah, there's I'll a lot look of into pain. it, but I don't. I don't think they made it easy. That's kind of my perception, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm willing to be wrong about it. Um, but anyway, some more thoughts on the the Sundance uh, thing. So, okay, Devendra's talking about Flea and users. What else do you want to talk about, Devendra? Sure. Uh, one movie that I was not expecting to love, but it is the uh, feature directorial debut of Gerard Carmichael, the comedian. And it's a movie called The On the Count of Three. This is a lovely movie about two guys. They're best friends. They're bros. You know, bros, bros to the end. Literally, because this is a movie about them forming a suicide pact at the beginning of the movie, and the entire movie is them leading up to completing that suicide pact. And yeah, this movie is dark, absolutely, because literally the first shot is Gerard Carmichael uh, holding a gun up to Christopher Abbott, just like they're in standoff mode. That is the right, first frame like of the movie. Right, like John Woo style. Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. And that is it. That's you're in the movie. And... That's it. Like they're they're basically they've made this commitment to themselves. Um, not a huge spoiler. They end up giving themselves like just the day, like something something they need to finish uh, will take them to the end of the day. So it's really about these two guys. They're committed to killing each other because they love them. So, they love each other so much um, having their final day. And, you know, what would you do with that last day of your life? And it is it's a dark film, but I also find it like really sweet. And really hopeful because these two guys, like they, they love each other, right? They are best friends. They will, you say, you know, you, uh, I mean, a lot of people will say, I will, I'll kill for you. Like these guys will literally kill for each other and by killing each other. Um, and Gerard Cartmichael, fantastic in this. Christopher Abbott, we just talked about him with a uh, possessor. Astounding in this because the movie opens up with him being broken out of a, a out of an asylum and it's him like just trying to he's somebody who had recently tried to kill himself and it's him just like trying to come back into the world and figure out like what's the value of their lives i i think is a really fascinating film and a really entertaining film despite being so dark but it is like it is in many ways also suicide trigger the movie because it is these guys talking about the you know it, the idea of just ending things it's not so bad at times and i feel like I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to hit certain audiences, but I think it's really original. And it reminds me a lot of like uh, maybe a Safety Brothers thing because it just like it, it is crazy. 
Like this movie goes places I did not expect. Uh, has a great cast too. Uh, Tiffany Haddish is in here. Uh, J.B. Smoove, Henry Winkler. You know, just great people, but doing dramatic roles. So check it out when it's available. I don't know if anybody's bought it yet, but I I, I assure you, uh, you guys in particular will love this movie. All right. Well, that's on the count of three. And it's a movie that Devendra saw at Sundance this year. Um, and what else you watch at Sundance you want to talk about, Devendra? I saw Prisoners of the Ghostland, which is a movie I was super excited about because it is it is the combination of the Japanese powerhouse gonzo filmmaker, Sion Sono, with Nicolas Cage. And on paper, I think everything about this movie should should just work. You know, I was ready to just sit back and uh and just love the insanity. Have to say, it was not as insane as I was expecting. It is sort of a uh it's sort of like Mad Max meets a spaghetti western meets a samurai movie at times. Like it's just all over the place. Um I, I was never bored with it. I was always entertained. Um, but there's not enough of like the the cagey antics you want from a crazy cage movie. Um, like it is more propulsive than a movie like Mandy or something, but I actually think Mandy, you know, actually, actually had like an emotional core to it. It was actually trying to do something. Whereas this movie is just kind of like all over the place at times. And I, I'm a little disappointed because I love Sion Sono. I think he's made some like crazy ass shit, like Tokyo vampire hotel. I talked a bit about this at some point. Um, he was, I think he, in the early two thousands, he did suicide club, which is just an insane movie. Um, I expect more Gonzo stuff from him. Apparently the story is, uh, I believe he suffered a heart attack as they like began production of this movie. So I almost feel like, I, I wonder if like some of it is just restrained because he was just like, he had to like keep himself reined in a little, but it is, it's entertaining. I just expected more from a movie where like Nicolas Cage is wearing a leather suit that looks like an Elvis outfit. It is. And he has bombs around his body that will explode at, at specific points, including two bombs around his nuts. Like this is that movie. This is a movie where his job is to go rescue nut a girl. Bombs? Nut bombs. Yeah, there are nut bombs. And, uh, you know, nut bombs may go off in this movie and <laughs> use your imagination. Use your Oof. imagination. This is a it's a crazy movie. It's a lot of fun. I just you know I've seen Sion Sono go crazier, go wilder, and given where Nick Cage is right now, like where he is, just like doing some really fascinating indie work, I kind of expected him to go a little harder here. But hey, it's uh it's worth watching. I just didn't love it. Well, there's Pri- your poster quote: "Nut bombs may go off." Nut bombs. Prisoners of the Ghostland stars Nick Cage. I heard fairly mixed buzz about this one coming out. I thought it would be like, oh, this is amazing. You got to check it out. And that was not what the reaction was online, sadly. I wish um, it was. I, I would have liked yeah. to like it more. Yeah. And anything else, Devendra? Last one, real quick. Uh, apparently a surprise movie that was added to Sundance is In the Earth, the new Ben Wheatley movie, which he made uh, during the pandemic. So it is, it is a COVID movie. It's a movie that kind of, it's a movie about, basically two scientists who have to go deliver a message uh, in a world that's ravaged by a virus. And there's a lot of like COVID stuff happening, like the extreme sanitation. Um, It's a movie that kind of explores the idea of what would happen if COVID crippled society even further, you know, and we had to go live out uh, in the wild in a way. It did not work for me at all. Um, A lot of people are explaining that are talking about this movie, like annihilation, or something. And I just feel like there's no, there's no real emotional core to it. 
it is just kind of a lingering uh, movie that feels really repetitive at times. Uh, the best thing I can say about it is that the performances are pretty solid. Joel Fry uh, is the star of this. Uh, he's in, he's from Game of Thrones and a couple other things. And uh, his foot gets fucked up in this movie. And this is a movie where <laughs> Joel Fry's foot is repeatedly, just repeatedly damaged and destroyed and mangled. And that is, for me, the high point of the movie because it felt like something was actually happening. Um, but yeah, it is, you know, I'm hit or miss on Ben Wheatley. I don't love all his things. I know people love his style. To me, he's like a little too cynical, a little too like just not even dark, but too like hopeless in a way. So I hated High Rise. You know, we talked about Free Fire. I feel like that worked a little bit more. But yeah, High Rise just felt like misery porn, the movie for me. Um, So this is not quite that. And I think it's trying to be more... It's trying to be experimental. It's very low budget. They could only do so much while shooting during the pandemic. It is a movie that mostly takes place in a forest because it's the only safe place to shoot. I just wish more happened in it. And it is also a movie that heavily relies on strobe lighting to the point where if you're epileptic, you probably should just not even watch this movie because strobing is like a main thing this movie does to really uh, generate effects and, you know, uh, make up for visual effects. So. Yeah, I was disappointed, but looking at it, everybody seems to love this movie, or at least a lot of critics like this movie. So maybe I'm just the outlier here. You guys seen Kill List? You guys are a fan of Kill List? Yeah, I like Kill List. Yeah, great, that movie great is movie. dark, but in a yeah. way that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, great movie. Anyway, I'm sorry you did not like Ben Wheatley's newest film, In the Earth, which debuted at Sundance this year. Um, that's what the Avengers been watching at Sundance. I'm gonna try to catch uh, one or two more Sundance movies the yeah. uh, rest of the week. I'll try to catch uh, Coda like before that's gone. You know? Yeah, it's it's a unique opportunity. It's a unique opportunity to it's, you know th- that there's this like highly prestigious festival that like you we can all now participate in. Jeff, anyway. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in. Let's get to weekly plugs. We're gonna do weekly plugs. Weekly plugs. This is the part of the show each week where we plug something we've created in the last week or something that we're just a fan of. We don't even have to have been involved, but mostly it's stuff we've created. Uh, This week, I want to recommend an interview I had with another podcast producer, Dallas Taylor, who created a podcast called uh, uh, 20,000 Hertz. You guys heard of this podcast? Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, really cool podcast. He explains the origins of sounds. Uh, like uh, the Star Wars blaster or Siri or uh, one of the most viral episodes he ever did was about the creation of the Netflix sound, uh, like the ta-ta sound at the beginning of the you know Netflix thing. Um, yeah. Uh, would you guys do you guys know what what the uh, that thumping sound was in Netflix? Do you guys any guesses as to what that was? No. Um, it's uh, the the guy who created the sound. It's him hitting his ring against a wooden table. And they just kind of like, you know, remixed it, sweetened it until it yeah. became the the thump that you hear at the beginning of every Netflix thing. Every Netflix. Yeah, joint. it's like the, the TIE fighter sound was a broken air conditioning <laughs> at ILM. And yeah. uh, they like banged on some wires to make the laser blasts. And I, 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 I dig I dig all that kind of uh, the sound work in general is fascinating because 
you know, you can abstract something to the point where you really are not hearing what you think you're hearing. What was fascinating to me about the conversation is he, Dallas Taylor, created 20,000 Hertz in order to uh, elevate the art of sound, you know, in uh, entertainment, right? Like uh, TV, movies, everything like that. And he came at it from the perspective of like often when a TV show is doing sound, right? Like sound often is like an afterthought. Like if you're shooting a, a TV show, it's like, oh, yeah. And like and on the way to it being on t- on streaming, like we're going to put it through the sound folks. And he was saying, like, if sound is being disrespected in a medium in which there's only two senses, sight and sound, <laughs> then we are really in trouble. And so he yeah. created 20,000 Hertz to, like, in, uh, you know, increase people's appreciation of sound. Anyway. Uh, it was a great interview, uh, and I would recommend checking it out. It's on Culturally Relevant, uh, my podcast where I talk with cool people around the internet. Divinia Hardware, what's your weekly plug? Uh, actually, two quick things. Um, the Engadget podcast, we just recently did a thing on the whole GameStop and Reddit uh, day trader fiasco and everything. And this is not, I, I'm not a finance guy. So this is a topic I actually need a lot of help decoding. So we talked with Mike Futter, the author of the Game Dev Business Handbook and the co-host of the Virtual Economy podcast to kind of oh, bring it down Mike for Futter. us. He's a good he's guy. Been, he's, he's been on DLC multiple times. He's love him. Yeah. Love him. Great guy. Um, so yeah, he helped us break down like the financial side of it. And we also talked to somebody who is uh, an anonymous member from Wall Street Bets. And uh, he gave us like the on the ground info there. Did and, you land uh, deep fucking value, Devendra? Don't, no, don't even joking. like it's just we, we we got the anonymous voice and everything there so nobody can tell who it is nobody knows um so there's that and also just real quick i wrote up something about the way sundance is actually working this year and they're doing more vr stuff in a way i didn't talk about any of the vr experiences so far because they just haven't been that great but they're doing this thing where you can go to like a virtual uh, cocktail room uh, in your web browser and go talk with people. But if you have a VR headset, you can also visit that web page in VR. It'll load up as a web XR environment and you will be just walking around that cocktail party and talking to people. So it's kind of, it's kind of wild. Uh, I did some demos of it. I haven't actually had time to like do it in the show, but I hope to like meet up with friends and do like a virtual Sundance chat at some point. I'm, I'm pretty sure this was your weekly plug last week as well, but you know what, Devendra, I'll yeah, yeah. Uh, Cause we've been talking about Sundance. So was it? Cool. I completely forgot. Nothing matters anymore, <laughs> but I actually did yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I actually got it out there. So that's a thing. Nice. The best All thing right. about that VR cocktail party thing is the proximity audio of you just hearing people go, does anybody want to buy my movie? Anybody <laughs> please, want to buy my please movie? Please buy my movie. <laughs> Jefferson Kanata, your weekly plug. Hey, I do a science show that is uh, liberally sprinkled with comedy. Some people call it a comedy show with a, a helping of science. Whatever your inclination, you can learn something and uh, laugh along the way on a show that I do called We Have Concerns. It's a weekly show. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, we, we have a good time. We have, we have fun. We, we are irreverent, but I think we actually do, you know, take a look at actual science stories and psychology and anthropology and all kinds of uh, fascinating topics that don't really make the front page, but are really, really interesting. And uh, we, we make jokes. So check it out. Wehaveconcerns.com. Great. Those are our weekly plugs this week. Hey, it's time to tell you about our sponsor, My Sheets Rock. Man, who doesn't love sleep? Well, I'll I'll tell you, I sometimes do not like sleep. Why? 
because I am a warm sleeper. I wake up hot and sweaty and it is not nice. It is not comfortable. It does not make me happy to wake up like that. But not anymore. Thanks to the new bedding brand I just discovered, My Sheets Rock. Their sheets keep you cool so you'll sleep better than ever. My Sheets Rock created the regular sheets, which are designed specifically to keep hot sleepers cool and cold sleepers comfortable. They regulate temperature, wick moisture, and stay breathable and are so soft, you'll sleep comfortable every night. That's because these sheets are made from best-in-class bamboo rayon, the holy grail of sheeting. It's a miracle material that transfers body heat two times more effectively than regular sheets and reduces humidity by 50% so you can experience your best night's sleep yet. I've tried these. We have them on our bed right now. It's really amazing. I'd never experienced bamboo rayon before. You have to try it. They're like nothing else I've ever experienced. I've heard it described as being as soft as a dolphin's body, which is perhaps even more alienating a reference, but somehow it works. It is extraordinary. Don't even believe me. They have five-star customer reviews that speak for themselves. Plus, they offer a 90-day risk-free trial and free shipping and returns. So what do you have to lose? Give it a shot. Check out My Sheets Rock at mysheetsrock.com slash filmcast and enter our code filmcast for 10% off and free shipping. That's mysheetsrock.com slash filmcast, promo code filmcast, M-I-S-H-E-E-T-S-R-O-C-K.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and that code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Let's get into our review of The White Tiger. When I first saw him, I knew then this was the master for me. I want to be a driver for your son. Hey, how much rope? Hey, don't do that. <laughs> hey, driver! I'm Pinky, nice to meet you. Balram, have you ever seen a computer? We had many of them in the village with the goats. Okay, the goats are pretty advanced to use computers. Okay, now you're being a jerk. I didn't like the way he had spoken about me. Since I was a boy, the desire to be a servant had been hammered into my skull. That was from the trailer for The White Tiger. It's streaming right now on Netflix. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. An ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty and rise to the top. An epic journey based on the New York Times bestseller, end quote. This is by director Ramin Barani, and it was based on the book by Arvind Adiga. So, Devinder Hardwar. Let's start with you. Just curious uh, about your thoughts on this film. I think you'd actually seen it before us, and um, I'm curious if you'd like read the book or had any exposure to this story before no. you watched the movie. No, no? I haven't you, read the book. Winning, uh, yeah, the main thing was Ramin Bahrani, who I I love. Like I love him as a filmmaker. Um, Man Push Cart, Chop Shop, like those were films. You know, documentaries I watched. Uh, those were like what mid 2000s. Yeah. And like he cemented himself as really interesting filmmaker. He most recently did the uh, that terrible Fahrenheit 451 adaptation on HBO, which was 
It's just a complete waste of time. But I like him as a filmmaker, and I was interested in seeing he what he He also did 99 next. Homes, which is a solid yep. movie it's about the subprime mortgage crisis, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, great great and Michael Shannon performance in that movie. Great. Yeah. For, I mean, he knows how to get like good stuff from Michael Shannon. It's just too bad about Fire and Night 451. Um, but yeah, I was really interested in this because of him and also because of the story, because I don't think I don't think the Indian experience has really been explored like this, specifically like the way the low caste folks are just shit upon in that society and the way that structure works and the way like being a servant to somebody is just like a thing. Like it's a thing people expect you to be and in many ways you're raised to be it. So to me, this felt like it could be the parasite, you know, of India basically. Right. And I don't think it's quite there. I think it's really, it's really well acted. And I think there's some really fascinating stuff here and it doesn't shy away from just the, the level of poverty that a lot of Indians uh, in that entire country is living through. But I also wonder if some of it may seem a little like poverty porn. Um, The perspective just seems, um, I believe the author is Indian American, but I'm not sure like how much of his experience is actually from the low caste folks. So uh, I'm always like, I try to be conscious of that. Like I don't want it to seem like anything about class uh, like this is looking down and people are talking down people. And I don't right. think it gets there, but I think it ends up being more like um, maybe more like a film, like the Joker when it ends up talking about inequality in a way, like it is, it is making a very specific point and it gets to be a very violent point at one, at one time. And in a way it also feels a bit like Goodfellas, like uh, it feels structurally like a crime movie at times too. Uh, it is all those things. I feel like it could have focused a little more, but I'm glad I watched it. I think the performances are fantastic. Like it raises some interesting questions. And I think this, you know, this side of India, the story of India is something that people should be more aware of because we typically only see Bollywood India or we see it through the eyes of like white filmmakers, like through Slumdog Millionaire, you know, like right. that, that that's an Indian movie that it won an Oscar, right? Because a British guy directed it. Uh, in a way, um, whereas a lot of Indian cinema does not get that much respect. This is another in another way does feel like an outsider coming in, but it's at least people who maybe are more in tuned and more sympathetic with the the people they're actually, you know, covering. And um, this movie straight up takes a swipe at Slumdog Millionaire. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, I think it's a great call out, Devendra, that like when you're watching a movie like this, you should just be aware of who's making it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. a. It's a good thing to be aware of. Ramin Barani is, by the way, an Iranian American who's born in mm-hmm. North Carolina. So it's just, it's just, it's not saying like that. Therefore, the movie's bad or it invalidates his point of view. But it's just good to know who is who is behind the film and what perspectives they might bring to it. That said, Jeff Kanata, curious what you thought of the White Tiger. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about the White Tiger are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Fancy that, Jeff. Fancy that. I was mesmerized by Balram from the second the movie came on. The best rise and falls, Goodfellas, at all, white tigers in that pantheon. Wow. Love it. Okay. I'm shocked you didn't like it. I thought this movie was incredible. I loved it. And and I'm sad that you didn't love it as much. uh, I mean, I I liked it. I liked it, Jeff. I liked it just fine. But I... Let's just say I have I have certain things that just like hold me back a little from fully loving it because I, I start to wonder about who the audience of this movie is for 
I start to wonder, yeah. like, is this is this movie selling a specific idea and a specific heroic story to, you know, white Netflix audiences or something like it's it's a lot of things going on because, yeah, hey, yeah. to me, it, it's something I have to think about, too, because um, let me think about my family, right? My family, there's a lot I don't know about my family coming from India. I know basically and there are records somewhere of of this, but my family is likely from Western India there were families who went all over the world basically to be indentured servants to the British and in British colonies. And my family was a group of that who went to Guyana in South America. And that's like, that's where the actual observable history of my family can be cut off. But let's just say things probably weren't good for my family in India for us to like sail around the world in a very, you know, dangerous people don't immigrate like that. Uh, if things are going well for them. So I think about this too, because it's like, in a way, this is my, my family comes from very uh, potentially very poor areas of India. I don't, I don't know. I absolutely don't know. What I do know is um, when people try to go back from South America and elsewhere, go back to their Indian families, to their villages, people rejected them. They didn't want them to come back because uh, they felt like they had betrayed their family. So then all of a sudden they were isolated and out in different places. So anyway, this movie is hitting me in many different ways. That's all. But I do like it. Sure. Yeah. No, I, and, and I guess I I mean, I am the white Netflix audience. So I, I you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt because um, I was blown away by this movie. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so incredible. And in literally every aspect, I mean, it is... I thought the performances were incredible, top to bottom. I thought the way the movie is filmed and shot, each beautifully shot, the incredible. way it's yeah. the lit, the the lens choices, how where the camera is placed is in absolutely exquisite. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat from the word go, from the first like uh, beat of of yeah. music that drops in at the beginning. And you're right. I mean, I referenced it in my limerick as well. Like, it, it feels like Goodfellas mm-hmm. set in India. It's a rise and fall start story without the fall. Uh, and it, it to me, it is every bit as good as mm-hmm. any one of those movies you want to you want to mention, Scarface or Casino or you know whatever that genre that subgenre is. Like yeah. this movie to me is as good as any of those. It is as mm-hmm. intriguing and. I mean, I am so, I was so wrapped up in the, the, the story of this, of this kid who, by the way, this actor is like the second thing he's ever been in and he carries this movie. It is incredible the work he does and you see him completely transform over the course of it. Um, it is, I mean, I was absolutely, if this movie had come out a month earlier, it would have been in my very high on my top 10 list. Oh, I just, I thought it was absolutely incredible. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I'll say some quick thoughts and then we can get to spoilers. I also have to say, I really enjoyed it. I thought the main actor, Adar Shkurov, who plays uh, Balram is just incredible. I mean, uh there's we'll we'll talk about it during the spoilers but there's one scene in particular where i just thought like this is one of the finest performances i've seen you know in the last year yeah Um, i I was reading an interview with him and he like went to the audition on a lark because he like wanted to meet the casting director he had only done like one other thing i mean it's it's an incredible story shoot your shot people yeah 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 uh, I found it to be thoroughly engrossing. I just was like was never bored the entire time, mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, it's interesting, Devinder, you bring up the comparison between like Parasite and Joker. That is the headline that uh, that Siddhanth Atlaka uses in his Polygon review. He says Netflix's oh, yeah, The yeah, White yeah. Tiger mm-hmm. is more like an Indian Joker than like Parasite. Uh, and we actually tried to get Siddhanth on this episode of the podcast. He was busy doing Sundance stuff, but would love to have him on again uh, this year. But uh, I, I do think that it tries to be, it tries to transcend kind of the, the genre and the story to become like this, this bigger commentary on the nature of class and on the nature of subjugation uh, and, you know, politics uh, and, and cast and i don't know that it quite gets there and i think the the reason for this comparison between joker and parasite is like joker to the extent that people enjoyed that film (laughs) i I actually think our review of joker was pretty negative if i recall on this podcast like (laughs) pretty negative yeah Yeah. we ripped it in half (laughs) but to the extent that people liked it it's kind of an interesting character study i mean joaquin phoenix won an oscar for his performance in that film right so it's because he he was a guy who thought he was this character Right. I think that was our big that was our big hook with it is that uh, I don't I know life is hard, man. Uh, Are you you talking about about right now? The Joker. I'm talking about Joaquin Phoenix's character. I forget what was his even name, but he thinks he is this guy, whereas actually seeing somebody rise up for who is literally treated like dirt, you know, and who is only looked on as a servant and as a dirty servant, you know, that that hits a lot harder. Yeah. Mm, right right um so i i think it certainly succeeds at like being kind of an interesting character study right mm-hmm. and then the question is like does it go beyond that to uh to kind of become like a broader commentary on society uh one of the weaknesses of the film i think that a few people have pointed out is that um it takes place like over a decade ago and Mm -hmm. the world that he's kind of predicting um like his predictions about like uh china and india's ascendancy in the world stage were like back then prescient but today we know how powerful those countries are you know so it's like it's not really like oh wow what a what a bold statement that these countries might be like bigger than the u.s one day it's like we're we're already kind of seeing it happen to some degree today um so that kind of robs the social commentary of some of its teeth uh, but overall, I, I mean, I had a great time watching this film. It's worth it just for the pr- main performance alone. And as you guys point out, a lot of the filmmaking decisions are just uh, really innovative and um, and surprising. Uh, I would recommend it. So that's my I mean, thoughts I think on the all White of Tiger. the performances. Mm-hmm. I, I I really do think there's not a, a an actor in the in the movie that isn't putting in incredible work. It right. Is, yeah. We should point I, out. Yeah. Uh, yeah mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead, I, I do think like the weak link for me is maybe Priyanka Chopra, just because her character, her character feels weird in a way, right? Because she is a character who both um, tries to be like the good liberal Indian in a way, but she is also she's Indian American, so she's coming into this also from her outsider perspective. And uh, I, no, I thought that made her great for the role, to be honest. Like I thought yeah. that made her like she she kind of. But but you're right. I feel like she doesn't fit in, quote unquote, with the even just like an, an act like a style. You know the. All these other characters have kind of a certain style in terms of their acting and performances, and she didn't fit in. But I thought that's kind of like part mm-hmm. of intention of the movie. That's part of the thing. That was like, kind of the point, yeah, right? Yeah. Like she doesn't do fit in like, there, yeah. and you know she, you know she doesn't, she doesn't fit in in that world, and she's she's an influence on a shock that is, you know, trying to kind of push him into modernity, and he's being pulled back by his own family, and I don't know. I I, yeah. I thought that was all effective. 
But mm-hmm. Devendra, go ahead. Like, finish, finish. Well, no, that. it's yeah. just just the nature of her performance. But also, she is a producer on this movie too, and I do feel like it almost feels like her character ends up being like the good one, you know, for the most part, because she does do some shitty things towards but Balram <laughs> as well, yeah. and like it is like. I just feel like there's something there, but I'm also, you know, I don't, I am not super impressed with her as an actor either. So that's just me. Um, I thought Raj Kumar uh, Rao, uh, who plays Ashok is great. I mean, amazing. he just, he Dude, just amazing. is his, the way he kind of conflicts with everyone, like has conflicts with his father, his family. I love the dynamic between him and his brother. Like what a stark contrast yes. between the two of them. And uh, everything is so understated and, and grounded and real with him. It's like, it, 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 on paper, excuse me. On paper, all of those, li- a lot of those lines that he has, mm-hmm. a different actor could have really pushed at and mm-hmm. and forced and made into a meal. And he just throws everything away. It's really natural and beautiful. And he's such a contrast to everybody else in the movie. I just, I was so. Yeah, great casting, but also just a phenomenal performance, I think. He's also technically, I think, more of a comedian than a dramatic actor in India. Like, my parents love his comedies. So, like, he is, yeah, bringing some really interesting energy to the movie. All right. Uh, Well, it sounds like we all think you should check out uh, The White Tiger on Netflix. Let's dive into spoilers for the film starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I think we've given a pretty good sense of um, what is great about this film, what we like about it. Uh, The scene I was referring to, by the way, is the scene when he signs the confession uh it's amazing you know, it's and and just like and the how camera it is shot like, yeah Ugh. ultra wide angle like right up on his face right on his face it's, oh man amazing scene Ama- so and powerful it, and when he comes outside you know it, it just his reaction when he goes outside is like it doesn't he, he's very angry he's kind of like howling in pain but it doesn't feel over the top do you know what i mean right it feels just like kind of like what something someone trapped in that situation might feel um so Many, many things to like about this movie. It's very engrossing. But let's talk about some of the potential issues of this movie. And I think, Devendra, you hit on one of them, which is like, who who is this movie for, right? And uh, presumably it's not for people who live in India because they don't need all the stuff that's explained to them in the movie, right? It really does feel like it's for American audiences or white it, it's audiences. It's a Vox article about cast... <laughs> You know, relations. Right, and- right. And and whenever a movie takes that position, you you kind of just got to, uh, I'm not saying therefore sure. dismiss everything the movie says outright, but it's just like, you just got to be a little skeptical of like, is this por- portraying, you know, India in a fair, uh, in a fair light or in a way that has nuance to it? And often the answer is no. I mean, the you know, t- to bring up another example it would be like Mulan, right? The this is a this is a movie that I mean the movie is pretty bad. Okay, the Mulan movie is pretty bad. The new one that came out last year, um, and it's uh, it, it's not for people who are, are Chinese because they talk in such like declaratory ways about like I will bring honor to my family, and it's like no one talks like that. Like they, you're only talking like that if you're talking to people who wouldn't necessarily know what it is. And so, so you just gotta be skeptical of, of a movie that like kind of is trying to give you this thing. Uh, another example, by the way, crazy rich Asians, 
But the, the thing with that is you had an outsider, right? She's going, the main character is going into Singapore. She doesn't know what she's walking into. And so like everything can be new to you, the audience and the character. Um, so uh, j- just something to keep in mind as you watch a movie like this is like to, to uh, if it's for a perspective that seems like an outsider to this society, um, just like, be skeptical of, of some of the claims that it makes. Um, there was an article over at... M- well, let me pause there for a moment. Devinger, mm-hmm. do you have any further thoughts on that topic? No, I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. Like, hey, my I have to raise my alarms because I care so much about like actual legitimate representation and accurate portrayals of multicultural you know, societies in general. Like, this is something that just really matters to me. Um, I can't say, like, I've never been to India. I don't have family in India. I don't have, like, direct experience there. So I can't say, like, how accurate it is. But I do think, like, as somebody, as somebody, you know, with Indian heritage, I look at, I look at it as a country in a way that feels like, man, we are, we are just failing so many people in a way. It feels like, you know, civilization has let India down because of the level of poverty that exists and the way that, it just can't really move forward as a society. And the things about the, you know, the political corruption that's widely known, like that's not, that's not even overblown here. Like that is something that exists within the country and the way, even though the caste system is technically illegal, like the, the structure of it is still in place and people still think they're basically trapped by this identity. And yeah, it just looking at anything like this makes me just really sad about the state of affairs in India, but I don't think this movie is necessarily unfair in that respect. Dave, I know you were bringing up Mulan as a uh, illustration of your point, but do you really think that this movie, I, I think it, it doesn't even remotely come close to <laughs> Mulan in that regard, right? I mean, there's a much more nuanced inner life on display here from all the characters, not just the lead, you know? Yeah, I think it, that it, it everyone that is struggling is, with it, these it, issues. It helps that the movie's actually good. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's an yeah, engaging yeah. film. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I agree. This movie is not as bad as Mulan. Um, so I'll, I will definitely give you that. I, I've been reading some, uh, some critiques of the film, and I think, you know, we've all made clear, like, we can't really uh, necessarily speak to these. I, I mentioned Sidanth's uh, review of the film, and one of his critiques was, like, that the movie doesn't really do that much to address actual Indian politics. Like, it's, sure. it's very half-baked depiction of the politics. Nothing interesting to say there. There was a piece at NPR that I thought was interesting called What Indians Who've Known Poverty Think of Netflix's The White Tiger Mm. Movie. And there's a couple of objections that people raised to the movie here. And I thought it's just worth considering, you know, like we can't really comment on on the veracity of these, but like it's their perspectives worth considering. So Vaishali Sharangul, who is the founder of the fashion house Vaishali S., uh, left her hometown of uh, Vidisha, about 500 miles uh, from Mumbai, as a 17-year-old with only the clothes on her back and the burning need to escape the limitations of a small town. And she says here, quote, I dislike the way the movie portrays poor people. I thought it catered to the white Western gaze, reinforcing stereotypes that the poor are helpless. India is a country with the harshest social divides, but I disagree when Balram says that the only way the poor can enrich themselves is if they follow a life of crime or politics. Mm. He feels no remorse even when he kills his employer because it enables him to transcend the cycle of poverty. I think that's a dangerous message to send and one that detracts from the years of untiring effort, discipline, and the sheer passion that many poor people use to rise above the circumstances, end quote. I, I did think that was kind of an interesting perspective. Like he, sure. it's, he states very clearly the thesis at the 
in the movie. He's like, yeah. you can only get ahead by like <laughs> killing, like murdering people or, you know, doing or being uh, like a politician. And, um, yeah. and, and that seems to be the thesis of the movie. And I guess what the, this person in this article is saying is actually like, it's possible to get ahead using just hard work and decency. And potentially, one, potentially, yeah. one watching this movie might like come away that, Oh, like it's, it's such a corrupt society that you're like, it, it's so structurally fucked that you can't do anything, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think know. this is the point yeah. where it's like, go ahead. Davina. That's, yeah. that's yeah. That's the message of this character, you know, what this character believes. Uh, I think the movie also gives us, gives us enough to be like, he is, this is a guy who is desperate to get ahead uh hyper capitalism you know embracing capitalism in its most extreme way is really his only path and that's his life view you know i don't know right but this is not, the he, thing. he's not necessarily representative of right. everyone but right. the thing is here's the thing though okay i want to ask you guys what did you guys yep. make of that last scene because that last scene he kind of is telling the story he's walking out out front and he's kind of giving his whole life story and he's like you know i'm the boss i'm super cool and then he walks off screen and all these people are just staring at the screen all the people at his taxi company yeah. are staring at the screen because they were now his servants basically r- right my interpretation of that was like yes uh he is a slightly better uh sort of master ruler whatever than the people over him but ultimately, there's still, you know, 50 dudes under him, each of whom may one day want to get ahead as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so kind of the cycle is going to continue. That was kind of my interpretation. Jeff yeah. Kanata, do you, have a, do, you have, do you have a sense of what, like, what did you make of that last shot? I mean, you know, it, to me, I, I get I, I get a, the same feeling from this movie that I do watching something like The Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. right? It's, it is, it, it, I don't come away going... Boy, he made all the right decisions, you know, like he he, he has, you know, he has conquered a capitalistic goal in a lot of ways that he set out to do. But I don't I don't believe that it's, you know, the movie is telling me this is the way to do things, you know, bravo for this guy. You know, it, it I feel like that is an unsettling final image intentionally. Right. It is an unsettling moment of like, well, who has Balram really become? You know, who, what, and what, where are we now? Like, is he, is he uh, did this thing that he wanted to do and he became the thing that he kind of realized wasn't so great. He's doing it in a different way, maybe a, 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 a more noble way. You know, he's treating the, the, the people that the kids that is, that his people kill on the street, you know, a right. little bit better. Yeah. You know, bro, good, good job, Paul Rom, yeah. I guess, you know, like, Though, I thought that was a weird note. It's like, kind of like, <laughs> I guess you're slightly better than the terrible people. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, but you're, but you're still kind of like subjugating yeah. them in some way. Right. You lost a son, yeah. but your older son has a job now. It's amazing. <laughs> right. I think, yeah. I think the thing that really left me <clears throat> a little cold on this movie is just the fact that it just kind of, just kind of ends, you know, like we spend all this time, of him we know at the beginning you know the opening scenes are like oh he's successful he has a taxi company right how does he get there and then we see how he gets there and the movie just kind of ends and i would have liked i would have liked a little more i would have liked a little more of an exploration of like what his what he was doing and what all this turned him into well i i think the uh decision to use the whole like writing the letter to the chinese premier Mm -hmm. thing that felt like not like yeah yeah i don't think that lived up to i was like oh this must be building up to something interesting and yeah nope i thought it was an incredible framing device in the beginning right like like that the 
the ideas that he's expressing and the way he's expressing them was like, wow, this really compelling and I'm totally drawn in. But you're right. It <laughs> payoff is basically yeah. he like talks to him as he's getting out of the car. You know, like well, and, yeah, and I think, it's like that. That was it. That was the reason yeah. we did the whole framing device. Like, yeah. I do think yeah. that is that's part of the point too. Like he builds himself up in this letter, and it sounds like bullshit at the beginning too, right? Like it's bravado, yeah. and then like he gets to this guy, and the guy's like, "Who are you? What? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. that's nice." But but I think and the I thing think is, that like, is purposeful. You, yeah. Like we, we as the that, audience, yeah. like I don't know about you guys, but I knew that this guy would never read his email. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, yeah. I never, <laughs> right. yeah. I the never felt the, like, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The guys be like, "Wow, he's got some great ideas that set up a meeting." <laughs> yeah, I, just, yeah. I just never no, believed right. that it was right. possible that like he would ever come off as anything other than self-serving. Apparently, the book—I don't know if the whole book or part of the book—is mm-hmm. told in the perspective of the letters. Like that's kind of. I think that I, that component is I, I gathered from. that. Yeah, yeah, I suspect yeah. that that's you know directly from the book. It makes sense. But and I liked. I mean, it gave us a reason to yeah. Yeah. hear his his voiceover narration, which I thought added so much to the movie. And he, hearing him narrate from a perspective that has changed radically from what we're seeing in the moment is, I, I you know is really it's it's good, fellas. Right? It's mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. And I I, I don't know. I find that very um, very compelling. I yeah. I thought that all worked. But you're right that. Ultimately, in the end, Vindra, I do think that there could have been another section of movie that right. would have been, you know, yeah, worthwhile. And it's like the Goodfellas of like the paranoia sequence, you know, or something. Yeah, like, right, right. And that's when, to me, Goodfellas gets even more interesting. And this movie just kind of stops after a certain <laughs> yeah. point. I'm like, Imagine Goodfellas, but it just stopped before the cocaine sequence. You well, know, it's like, a, you know, like I said, <laughs> it's a rise and fall story without the fall, right? It's, yeah. it's, and you suspect that this dude's going to fall. Right. right, he's like the yeah. he's, the guy, the the other driver, right? Which ice cold, ice cold move outing yeah. the Muslim driver. Um, yeah. You expect that guy, like in a, in an actual in a Bollywood movie, that guy would come back and shoot him in the head by the end, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah. And then like this dance. would be un, this would be uncut gems, basically at that point. Yeah, but yeah. Oh, and and he like uh, so okay. Your interpretation, mm-hmm. by the way, I assume like is that Ashok's family found this guy's family and murdered them all, right? Like, oh that's yeah, the they're dead. Yeah. They're dead. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think he man, knows that. Dark. I think man, you know, I think Balram knows that at the end. You know, <laughs> yeah. that is dark, man. That is dark. Well, we see uh, it over and over. Like we see yeah. it like two or three times in the movie. He like, he knows that's what he's doing. And he, you know, when he saves his cousin or nephew or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. uh, I I mean, I, I thought that was so beautiful. And like that that whole sequence where you know he says, "I hope he knows that to leave when I don't come back," and then he does come back at his own peril to get the kid. I thought that was awesome. And then like that whole sequence where you see them going around all the places with the red bag, just the two of them not saying a word to each other. You know, I just I thought that was so well uh, realized that, mm-hmm. that I, I thought it was an interesting decision. I don't know that I've seen it like something like this or it's very it's rare to see it where uh, he imagines his family getting killed. Like there's a kind of a fantasy sequence of his uh, two fantasy sequences, right, mm-hmm. of his family getting yeah. murdered. And then when it actually happens, you don't see it. Right. You know, I just think that's an interesting like filmmaking decision of like, well, we've already showed you how you, we might imagine it. Now, like mm-hmm. it's your turn to imagine it. Basically, well, it, yeah. another yeah. read by the way is that he just doesn't doesn't matter to him. Like right that yeah. that that side. Like he's yeah. seeing these no, stories. Great. Like he just doesn't know and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Anyway. Yeah, he's he's yeah. lost. Yeah, he's he's fully broken from the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say. One other objection that people have to the film uh, is the depiction of caste in the film. Mm -hmm. And I think this is interesting uh, that basically 
uh, here's the, 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 again, reading from this NPR piece, right? That like, uh, the implica- the NPR piece takes the premise that the implication of the film is that you are able to rise above poverty and caste discrimination. Yeah. That is, that is what this NPR piece presumes the film is trying to say. Um, if, but, if you luck into millions of dollars, yes. <laughs> if you luck into millions of dollars. But, uh, you know, uh, according to the NPR piece, quote, this is a false narrative peddled by the movie, says Benson Nithipudi, a graduate student at Columbia University. Um, an education, a good job, financial status, all this may help people considered lower caste to shield themselves from prejudice and physical violence, but the discrimination doesn't stop just because they happen to strike it rich, end quote. And there's a, this is a, an actual thing uh, of people from lower caste still believe they face discrimination in the United States. Uh, this is like has been written about, reported about a few times oh, yeah. in the last couple of I, years. I've seen yeah. this happen of like of people I know, like international students, when they were dealing with um, older Indian folks who were from higher classes. Like they would immediately revert to an almost like subservient way of dealing. Mm. Like they they would start picking up the the either professor or person's bags. So like it, it was a very like weird interaction i saw and the older person from the higher cast would just accept it it's like oh yeah that's that's how i treat this person it is very weird to see happen in america yeah yeah so i can understand the objection to the extent that one feels like this movie minimizes the pervasive and ongoing nature of cast um throughout the world and and even in the united states um but i i think jeff your point is also well taken that like you know uh (laughs) this is like in in many ways a fantasy and like you know we're not necessarily supposed to see this guy as a role model and you know uh he's not exactly like the prototypical person rising up from uh you know we're we're getting we're getting a perspective of the world through this person's twisted lens you know Mm -hmm. i could see i could see the defense being being that for the film but anyway i do think it's it's interesting to reflect on like uh, why the movie might be considered problematic by some people, yeah. but that doesn't take away that doesn't from the fact mean that it's, that doesn't yeah. mean it's bad either. It's still a highly like, can, enjoyable film. Yeah. You know, it's still like wow, I, I had a great time watching it. Great performances, really well put together. So, um, anyway, but by the way, what was the Slumdog Millionaire slam you guys heard in this movie? I, I, I oh, missed it straight it. up calls it out. He, he says something. Oh, like this uh, is not Slumdog Millionaire, right? Is, is, no, no, no. He says what? something like this is not. Hey, a game yeah, show. Nobody can get out of it just because you answer a question or you get a million dollars million rupees on a game show or some shit like, like it's like it's direct rip on nice. you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting you remember interesting. that movie guys like that movie's wild it's just yeah. i like i still like that movie there are I have things i like spot. stylistically about it but man that in terms of bringing up a lot of the issues i have about indian portrayal in, oh, oh it's, in cinema it's yeah. way more problematic than this movie yeah. in my opinion <laughs> but i still like it it also launched dev patel's career as at least well, it gave us know? dev so, patel yeah. yeah it gave us we'll always have dev patel so anyway, uh, the White Tiger. I'm glad you uh, you guys enjoyed it, Jeff. I'm glad you loved it. Um, I, I thought it, you know I really really found it to be very engaging. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, um, hope, I hope I hope uh, for so good things made. for Ramin yeah. Baharani like moving forward. Like I want yeah. him to get great projects. You know, any other moments from the movie you want to bring up? I I, I feel like there was a, this movie does the thing. Okay, it does the thing where it starts in media res, right? Yeah, yeah. It, this and, movie could have started with as far back as I could remember. I wanted to be a servant. Yeah, you yeah. know, it basically could. Yeah, have. yeah, yeah. I did think I, it was. I, w- yeah, go ahead, Jeff. One moment I absolutely loved was, uh, you know, in his little uh, little tent room in the basement. Yeah. The the 
garage of the building yeah. when uh Ashok finally goes down there and like you know he finds him there and they have that moment and he's and they sing together oh Dude, that's so good that scene is is so great because Ashok like sucks as a singer you know but he thinks he's amazing and then Balram like crushes it with a song and he's like yeah we can start a band together man it's like I just loved loved that that contrast it was oh man it's such a like there's so many wonderful moments of Ashok feeling feeling like he's being a good person mm-hmm. and being a complete asshole oh, you yeah. know like he <laughs> thinks he's being a great guy and that's there's like this this level of discrimination that is, you know, he just he feels like he's doing the, the right thing and being a good person. And inside Balram's experience, you recognize how demeaning it constantly is. Um, I just I don't know. I obviously, you know, I'm squarely in that in that place you guys are talking about where like, you know, I as a white American am seeing things in this film that. I haven't seen on film a lot mm-hmm. or ever. Uh, and uh, so perhaps that's exactly why you guys think it's problematic is, it, you know, it, it is perhaps educating me in a way that is inaccurate. And right. that's, that's I, a, a, a problem. I, but I, man, I, I did feel like it, it brought me into a world that I wasn't aware of. Uh, and it, 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 I, it was compelling and fascinating and it did it did feel like a larger than life tale so it didn't feel like i'm watching a documentary about india but you know i i just thought the 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 canvas upon which this tale was told was was fascinating the way the manner in which it was told the the pacing the the camera the look of the movie is exquisite it's relentlessly just, entertaining. Like this is a movie built yeah, to entertain yeah. and it is very good at that. I will say like one thing I'd recommend to everybody too, that really, I know uh, struck me recently. Um, there was this great New York times piece. Uh, it was a piece uh, called who gets to breathe clean air in new Delhi. And it's a, it's like a audio visual. It's, it's sort of like a mini documentary that charts these two kids as a uh, one who is very poor and one who's basically middle class as they go about their lives in, in new Delhi and the level of pollution that they have to live with. And I think it's really fascinating just to see, of course the poor kid um, deals with significantly more, but even no matter how much money you have, you can't really fix the inherent problems in, uh, in Indian cities too. And I don't know, it just kind of struck me here too. Like it reminded me of this. It is worth watching too, because the the kid in that article basically his school is a dirt patch underneath a highway literally you know like the the level of poverty is something i think just we're not fully cognizant cognizant of most of the time and i think at the very least white tiger does a good job of hey showing us some of that and making people aware of what's happening in india to to a certain degree jeff i think an analogy a good analogy would be you know uh if Goodfellas was the only movie I had ever seen in my entire life that had Italians in it, right? No, right. I, you know I was I mean? almost going to make that yeah. sa- make that same observation. Like that, right. that's the pro- that, like this movie. The only reason that it's problematic is because there aren't a thousand Correct. movies about Indians. Correct. In, yes. in the in the right. So like in the context of a whole bunch of other movies, this movie would I think would be. People would be I, like, I yeah, it has some problems, but like, you know, whatever. It's like a great right. genre movie, you know, but right. but because like 
this is many people's first exposure to many of these ideas like cast right. and so on. It kind of bears this burden, unfortunately, you know, of like, right. oh, wow, like, are we, are, is it, is it saying the right things about the society, you know? And that's Which why sucks, I think people, right? yeah, that it sucks. sucks. It, it sucks, sucks yeah. that, that it has to, like, it, it has to have that burden because, you know, somebody should be able to make the good fellas of India, you know, like, and not have to worry about whether the, <laughs> the main character is noble or does the right thing, you know, like it, it, um, but of course this is what, this yeah. is what we talk about when we talk about representation and it yeah. is, mm -hmm. it is important to be able to have, uh, not just one or two of <laughs> movies that, that have, you know, represent parts of the world. It's a, it's a, important to have lots of them so you can have a spectrum uh mm -hmm. a gradient of uh t stories and tales right? yeah agreed 100 agreed 100 so anyway uh those are our thoughts on uh the white tiger stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week in the meantime i want to tell you that you can find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast.com email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and youtuber kyle hillinger check out his youtube channel and our uh, weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast, it's very easy. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can get ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. Um, this week on the After Dark, got a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, COVID-related topics, as I said. You know, <laughs> everyone wants to talk about that, right? Yeah. Oh, um, man. Yeah, I know. You so can't wait. Exciting. Can't wait. You can't, can't wait. You can't wait. You can't wait. Um, okay, next week, current plan. We're going to talk about The Dig on Netflix. New movie. Uh, it's getting great reviews. In the After Dark, we're going to talk about Malcolm and Marie. It's getting slightly less good reviews, but it's very interesting and provocative. Yeah. So and also, that's uh, what... maybe maybe watch some Euphoria before that, too, because I think uh, Sam Levinson is a really fan fascinating filmmaker. Yeah. All right. So The Dig and Malcolm and Marie. That's what's on tap for next week's episodes of the Slash Filmcast. Again, patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Thanks to everyone there for your support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you later. Yeah.